Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi. Hello. Welcome back and welcome to season nine of Old Millennials, a deep dive podcast on cello topics from the late 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Beijing. Welcome to a new shiny season of Old Millennials. And with that being said, let's just get some like quick housekeeping out of the way. Did you guys miss us? Because we missed you a lot. And we're we never sure ever going to leave our old millennial children like that, you know, without a dope beat to step to, as Aaliyah once said, and Tim featuring Timbaland ever again. Because going forward, during our long hiatuses, Emily and I are going to, and we cannot help ourselves, pop back in for little mini pop-in seasons where we're going to like recap a TV show or a movie or something in its entirety. Uh, for example, and just like that, you know we're going to have to do it on you. Of so. course. Of course. It's inevitable. We so as we go on these hiatuses between seasons, we will be providing a little bit of content in the downtime that, you know, is uh, more contemporary pop culture. But if you miss us so much and you cannot wait to hear from us, these months have just been horrendous for you. We obviously have a Patreon. It has been on pause because we are now going to relaunch our Patreon and it's going to mostly have a um, content that's going to support like what we currently do on the main feed. It'll be like some cut for time stuff or maybe like a side thing that we find out about that we like want to watch and then dive deeper into. For example, today's episode. Uh, we are going to have a supplementary episode to today's very special premiere episode. And so if you love this episode and you want to hear more, you can do that by subscribing to our Patreon. We will also be opting into Apple subscriptions. So if you don't care about having bonus content, but you do care about having ad-free feeds, you can subscribe to us. And we're going to launch all of that March 27th. I'm sure Emily and I will be talking about it more. So 
with that all in mind, Emily, how's it going before we get into this week, before we get into this grand premiere? I don't want to spoil anything, but I consider myself a copyright uh, legal scholar at this point. I mean, I just to your special skills right next to proficient in Photoshop. I learned so much along the way. It was really, it was a treat to do this research. It felt like the the words were flowing out of me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm feeling great. I'm feeling hydrated. How are you feeling? I feel good. You know, it was like a longer break, um, mm-hmm. but honestly, this episode, I felt reinvigorated. I yes. felt energized. Mm-hmm. You and I were texting, you know, as if it was just us doing research like yesterday on the hills in Laguna Beach. Like I really felt like a renewed sense of, I don't know, joie de vivre. I, I don't really know what it is. It, like it, I just had such a good time <laughs> talking about this episode and yes. planning out this season. I think maybe it was the episode also that we recorded with a very special guest that also was like, this is really fun and I miss doing this. You know, I'm glad you say it because I I totally agree. I don't want to like compare it to this, but I'm going to. It's kind of like when a, you know, classic rock musician has felt no need to like record anything for a while and then just gets like a new burst of life and puts out some like ridiculous album. That's how I feel right now. Like we're about to release that collab album a la Santana and win all the Grammys, baby, because we are adult contemporary kings. Well, as I told you this weekend, you know, between my good news on Friday and then this Tom Ariana Vanderpump Rules scandal breaking, like this has been like the best like stretch of days of 2023 for me personally. Like I am thriving. Yes, she has not disappointed. She's disappointed at some points, but generally it's been things have been good. Things have been been going well. It's been an up. And so let's just get let's just get right into it because we're we're hyped to get into our premiere episode. I really I really can't stop saying that because it's just been so long. I don't know if you know this, but April 15th will mark the 100th and 11th birthday of the Titanic sinking. And just this past December, it was the 25th anniversary of the cinematic event known as James Cameron's Titanic. This singular three-hour movie event not only changed how movies were made, box office projections were counted, and how many of divorced dad reconsidered letting their child pick a movie to see in theaters, it also spawned a lot of fandoms. But right up into its December 19th premiere, Titanic was expected to be the biggest flippity flop since the the ship itself sank. It was over budget thanks to all of the CGI. Its release date got pushed from summer blockbuster to winter holiday movie, which like, you know, what family wants to watch ostensibly hundreds of people make their icy watery death for Christmas? Dozens. (laughs) There are dozens of us. But James Cameron is that bitch. And if he is anything, he's also that petty bitch. Because Titanic not only became the highest grossing movie since Star Wars, he also beat his own fucking record with Avatar and then beat it again with Avatar 2. Well, all about talking shit about how Disney doesn't know how to light movies in water. Titanic's unprecedented reach ensured its massive mark on pop culture that started in 1997 and continues to this day. I mean, goddammit, you went and saw the movie in theater in 3D for Valentine's Day. I sure did. 
Titanic made household names out of Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, defined an entire era of Celine Dion's career, and weirdly, the ship itself became monetizable via a traveling museum exhibits and even birthday themes. So for our premiere episode, we're going to explore the various manias that sprang from the bottom of the ocean. Leo mania, Celine Dion slash My Heart Will Go On mania, and Titanic mania. So in honor of of our subject, and because Titanic was the number one movie in America for 15 consecutive weeks, how many times did you see it in theaters? I saw it, well, as of this last month, I think I've seen it three or four times in theaters. Okay. That makes sense because, I mean, you are in the majority of people who saw it multiple times contributing to its success, its successful run as a number one movie for 15 consecutive weeks. Yes. How about you? Only the one time in theaters. After that, it was just the double VHS tape. Oh, yeah. That was a hot commodity. I, I can't, I I believe that might be the last great uh, double VHS, you know? Like, I was that, The Sound of Music, and a couple of other, like, really big epic films that had the double VHS treatment. But after that, sure. we moved to DVD. I mean, I would say it's the only double VHS tape for millennials, right? Like, that's oh, the sure. one you remember most clearly. Sure, sure. But every time it's been re-released to theaters, I've I somehow have not managed to go back and see it. The last time was for Valentine's Day. I was like, oh, we should all go see it. And the response is so tepid. I was like, fine, I'll just go see Magic Mike 3 by myself. <laughs> <laughs> but for the purposes of this episode, Emily, why don't you kick us off with your Leo mania? Oh, my God, Margo. Will I ever? <clears throat> Nothing is more peak 1998 than me using up the entire ink cartridge of my family's printer and 30 minutes of dial-up download, uh, or sorry, 30 minutes of dial-up internet to download and print a trading card-sized photo of Leonardo DiCaprio to put on my bedroom wall. When someone asks me if I'd date a younger guy, I will only respond that I don't think I could date a man younger than understanding why that would have pissed my parents off years old. Born November 11th, 1974, this Scorpio King was 23 when Titanic made him go from child star turned Shakespeare heartthrob to cover of every teen magazine and permanent fixture on every straight girl's bedroom wall in 1998. Anyone who was half as obsessed as I was with Leonardo DiCaprio knows his bio Grew up in L.A., was named Leonardo because his mom felt a kick when she looked at a painting of Leonardo da Vinci's while pregnant with him. He started out as a kid doing commercials, then booked a few TV show arcs, including a recurring role on Growing Pains where he played a troubled kid the Seavers took in and was a case of the writers trying to add a new cast member to boost ratings and appeal to female viewers, but it really didn't work and he eventually left the show before it got canceled. He'd go on to star in This Boy's Life, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, The Basketball Diaries, Marvin's Room, and he even got his first Oscar nod for What's Eating Gilbert Grape in a role that I don't think would fly in 2023, uh, thanks to uh, public discourse and Tropic Thunder. Uh, Would you agree, Margot? Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) His breakthrough into heartthrob status and the foundation for the superstardom that Titanic would solidify came from playing opposite Claire Danes in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, which we have talked about ad nauseum on this podcast. 
He, fun fact, turned down the lead in Boogie Nights to star in Titanic, which like Leo could have played Dirk Diggler. Let's be clear here. Leo could be Dirk Diggler. Mark Wahlberg, coincidentally his Basketball Diaries co-star, could never have been Jack Dawson unless he was like this Boston Irish Catholic guy. But in that case, I think Jack Dawson survives. If if Wahlberg plays <laughs> Jack Dawson, I think his his like unkind Boston Irish like tough guy personality makes him survive because he gets sick of Rose's shit along the way. I mean, I feel like you can't have Mark Wahlberg and also Cal the character because they're yes. just both two dickbags. They're two dickbags for sure. James Cameron's original person that he had in mind for Jack in the early 90s was River Phoenix. But of course, uh, River Phoenix sadly had died at this point. And this isn't the first time that Leo stepped into a role that was tied to Phoenix originally. And this happened in 1995 in the movie Total Eclipse. In terms of other people considered for Jack before Leo, because we love a list on this podcast. It's a who's who of 20-something guys in the 90s. It's Matthew McConaughey. It's Chris O'Donnell. It's Billy Crudup. It's okay. Steven Dorff. And Steven Tom- Dorff, that'd be a really weird movie. <laughs> it would be such a strange movie. Um, and then Tom Cruise. <laughs> I mean, I guess in the 90s, it's like he has, it's just like a cursory he- thing. Like he has to read for every role because he's he- Jerry Maguire. He and Nicole Kidman, I might add, because she comes up yes. in a couple of other things we've talked about. Um he was in talks for this role, but his asking price was too high because I think he was at $20 million at that point. Jesus fuck. Leo eventually got to that. But for mm-hmm. at that point, Tom Cruise in $1997 is $20 mil. And Jeremy Sisto did screen deaths with Kate Winslet. But again, like we're talking about the Cal factor here. You can't get Elton to play Jack. Elton can play Cal, but not Jack. Like Jeremy Sisto mm-hmm. could never. Leo did not take this audition seriously and goofed off because he didn't want the heartthrob typecast to happen to him. Cameron made him focus on this audition and he claims he knew Leo was the right person for Jack and Kate Winslet, who really fought to get cast in that role, also like told James Cameron, you need to hire this guy. Leo's concerns about becoming too much of a heartthrob obviously came to fruition when the movie became a major hit and he all of a sudden experienced Beatlemania-like fame where he was met everywhere with screaming girls. Many people believe it was this heartthrob status that eventually shut him out of the Best Actor Oscar nod. So let's travel back to the 70th Academy Awards where Titanic ended up getting 11 Oscars, tying it with Ben-Hur as the film with the most Oscars. In terms of acting nominations, Kate Winslet was nominated as Best Actress and Gloria Stewart was nominated for Best Supporting. The Best Actor category, where Leo was snub, included the following nominees. So Jack Nicholson won for As Good As It Gets. Mm. You have Matt Damon, Good Will Hunting, Robert Duvall in The Apostle, Peter Fonda in Yuli's Gold, and then Dustin Hoffman in Wag the Dog. So it's a pretty stacked category that year. And while the Academy will now nominate more than one younger person in the category, I really think it was partially around Leo's heartthrob status and also partially around a whole lot of old white men voting for other old white men because Matt Damon is the only person under the age of 50 who was nominated that year. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Cool. There was, yeah. Uh, it, and some things have changed, and yet some very and much stayed the some same. Some are exactly the same as they were. <laughs> it was a very white category, if you mm-hmm. mean. <laughs> and also, like, who's going to remember The Apostle? Everyone remembers Titanic. I know that the Oscars aren't necessarily about who's going to remember, et cetera, but 
Come on now. Uh, there was needless to say a lot of fan outrage around the snub and there is a march 1998 entertainment weekly article that really (laughs) captures that outrage energy perfectly a paragraph that does a great job summing it up quote given that five weeks into the movie's run 20th century fox estimated that seven percent of all u.s teenage girls had seen the movie twice it's safe to say that the teen titaniacs (laughs) whoa is that what they were called or slash we (laughs) <laughs> yes, Titaniacs. Titaniacs. That's great. That's that doesn't quite roll off the tongue and kind of sounds like a disease, like an old timey disease. It does also like really lean into the inappropriateness of it all that we made a tragedy into a fan- fanaticism. Um, <laughs> Revisiting the fact that you could and people did have Titanic themed birthdays <laughs> is so morbid to me. And I played the Titanic board game. Okay, oh. so. As an adult, not as a child. As an adult. (laughs) Yeah. And then we left it at an Airbnb because it caused too many fights. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think we played the same game. I'm pretty yes, we did. So when we when Todd, Zoe, and I and Oh, did you play the Meeples game? Yeah, we played we played the Titanic game where there was like Titanic trivia. It was there again, was trivia, but then also you had to like move paces, and then like the water oh. level would rise in the <laughs> ship as you were trying. You basically were trying to was... escape. Yeah, did Todd leave you behind to drown on the on the ship as well? <laughs> so we didn't play. We actually didn't play the board game per se component. We just we just read out trivia because we were drinking, mm. and and it was well. I'm sure what you were drinking as well, but in this case, there it was, was just not no a way I'd be playing that sober. <laughs> But I digress. Um, so this quote, this girl is his, you know, interview. She is outraged. Quote, I was upset when he wasn't nominated. Extremely, says Kim Cortez, 16, a student at New York's School of American Ballet, whose bedroom is plastered with Leo posters and who's seen the ship go down four times. This, this <laughs> entertainment weekly writer is unhinged. Like someone has a MFA in creative writing. Indeed. Adds her Titanic-crazed classmate, Jessica Cusack, 16, they went for older men like Peter Fonda. Even Celine Dion opined on the fracas. To me, he's James Dean. He's wonderful. I can't believe he's not nominated. There were, Margot, over 200 email and phone complaints to the Academy's LA offices demanding a recount or some level of justice for Leo. And it was- There weren't just teenagers. There was a complaint that came from an older woman who claimed the entire state of Florida was upset. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. Okay. In all seriousness, though, there were critics who also agreed. Siskel and Ebert were on board for DiCaprio getting nominated. And this article points out that this is also the year your short king, Al Pacino, was snobbed for Donnie Brasco. Not not my favorite Pacino, so no love lost there for me. I'm not going to call the offices of the Academy in L.A. and demand a, a recount of the 1997 Academy Award Best Actor nominations. I'm glad you'll use your time more wisely. Yeah, stop the press. <laughs> Ultimately, this doesn't stop Leo Mania. His next film, The The Man in the Iron Mask, received Oof. mixed and, Yeah, right. It received mixed and negative reviews. And Leo was nominated for the worst couple Razzie for playing Louis XIV and his twin brother Philippe, which I straight up 
used to rem- in a middle school quiz bowl to win a match or a tournament because I remembered that name. So thank you, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, but this movie is still, this fucking movie still grossed $180 million against a $35 million budget. Because of people like us, Emily. I <laughs> This was the movie that made my dad rethink like taking me to Titanic. He's like, I had to fucking sit through Man in the Iron Mask because <laughs> you're obsessed with Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> this movie is absolute trash. And all, was- because you saw the, all because you saw Titanic. I regret taking you. <laughs> this was also the same year during peak Leo mania where uh, Leo basically played himself in celebrity, that Woody Allen movie. Um, oh, and I don't know if I've seen that. It's fine. I of course watched it because, you know, Leo, he was in it. <laughs> he was in it. I probably shouldn't. Cause I'm pretty sure there's like a scene he's in with like a threesome and cocaine component to it all. But <laughs> this leads us into the pussy posse chapter of my notes. <laughs> incredible timing we have to mention it obviously because the infamous june 1998 new york magazine piece by nancy joe sales was titled leo prince of the city it um i mean it's iconic it follows leo and his friends the pussy posse around new york one night it includes toby mcguire fucking lucas haas harmony (laughs) corinne jay ferguson josh miller ethan supley uh, Kevin Connolly, David Blaine, a whole bunch of other people. David You're- Blaine is the most Same. random member. Every time I'm reminded that they're friends, I'm like, that is a pairing. It's bad enough that Lucas Haas is in the mix. <laughs> well, Mark Wahlberg based Entourage off of his own life and the Entourage he kept, uh, the plot lines from this show could have very well applied to this crowd, but make it New York instead of L.A., Rereading the story makes me realize how lucky this group of actors was was and magician were to not have Perez Hilton and co documenting their every moves because while this column makes him out to be a partying, not so clean cut as he may seem guy, Leo and all these actors lifestyles were, you know, fixtures and tabloids, but not the same kind of coverage it would have gotten had the Pussy Posse been at its peak in like June of 2008 versus 1998. I think we'd have a different view of Leo, even though we know he probably did a lot of the same shit. It just wasn't as documented in a daily blog that updated every couple of hours. Um, Yeah, I'm sure he wouldn't be able to craft the persona he currently has and and also not have to answer for it. Right. Like he is at the level of celebrity now where I mean, when was the last time he gave any sort of interview, right? I, like I think back during Titanic time, if that if Titanic time were happening now in current media, the way media is currently covered, he would have to answer for the fact that he like doesn't date anyone under the age of twenty five or over the age of twenty five. Excuse me. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And so, despite the realization that he was not the brooding Midwest orphan with a heart of gold, a knack for playing poker, and a talent for sketching naked women that was portrayed in this film. Teenagers everywhere were still obsessed over Leo and Leo mania was everywhere. You had tons of media on him all unauthorized because like you said, Leo notoriously hates this kind of shit and will not do press Uh, magazine covers a book books on him, unauthorized documentaries on his life. One that was called Leo mania and the VHS cover. Let me tell you, Margo, it is purple and it is beautiful. (laughs) Um, 
the Disney Channel, who aired Growing Pains reruns at the time, capitalized on this by having a Leonardo DiCaprio week where they aired episodes that featured him. And Leo Mania was so insane that you could be known or make some money off of just looking like him. Such was the case for Tim Hayes, a guy who worked at the local mall where I grew up, Tyson's Corner Center. And I went to a small Catholic elementary school. And I remember the older girls talking about him. And sure enough, my friend's dad, who worked at one of the stores at the mall, said hi to him when we passed him on the street one time in his car. So I saw the Leo look like in real life. I had to bring in an expert. And sorry, I had to bring in an excerpt from this names and faces column from the Washington Post dated June 27th, 1998. The face of Leonardo? No, that wasn't Leonardo DiCaprio at Union Station yesterday. It was Tim Hayes, the man who would be Leo. Hayes, 21, who works at the Coffee Beanery and the Banana Republic at Tyson's Corner Center, has had a third career lately as a Leo lookalike. He posed for photos yesterday in front of the Blockbuster Legends Movie Memorabilia Tour, a small collection tied to the American Film Institute's recent announcement of the 100 Greatest American Movies. Apparently, at the time, he um, shared this one. This guy shared the same birthday as Leo. Hmm. And he claimed that his sisters would invite their friends over when they knew that he was coming home to his parents' house for dinner. And he basically made a living off of this for a little while. And working as a lookalike would eventually backfire, however, because he would indirectly be named in a lawsuit with 20th Century Fox and Paramount, the studios who were behind Titanic. More on that later when we talk about Titanic mania and the various merchandise you could buy. But to cap it all off on the Leo mania of it all, the same year Leo uh, is going through Leo mania in 1998, he is cast as Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, reportedly nabbing a $20 million paycheck for the role, but ultimately dropped out in favor of being in the beach. Leo has stated that it was after all this that he started being a lot pickier around the roles he chose, and he has been in movies that have grossed a lot of money, but he's not looking for the several hundred million dollar blockbusters. Case in point, he ended up turning down Anakin Skywalker in Attack of the Clones as well, which went on to go to Hayden Christensen. And DiCaprio stated in 2000, quote, I have no connection with me during that whole Titanic phenomenon and what my face became around the world. I'll never reach that state of popularity again, and I don't expect to. It's not something I'm going to try to achieve either. Leo has been and continues to be A-list, commanding $20 million paychecks and working with the most famous directors in the world. But you'll notice he's never done a Marvel, DC, Star Wars, etc. film, and he probably never will. He may keep his girlfriends young, but he likes his theater-going audiences to stay old. And that is all I have on Leo Mania. <laughs> That's the only good thing about him. He likes an older audience. <laughs> well, I'm going to get into some Celine Dion, My Heart Will Go On mania, which is less subdued or is more subdued than the Leo mania. Mostly, you know, I mean, consider the source, right? So My Heart Will Go On was recorded by Celine Dion as the theme for Titanic. It was composed by James Horner with lyrics by William Jennings, and it was produced by Horner, Walter. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Offenessif? I really butchered that and I apologize. Uh, and Simon <laughs> Frangolin. Uh, it was released as a single ahead of the movie uh, in November 24th, 1997, and it was also included on Celine Dion's album, Let's Talk About Love. James Cameron initially wrote the movie while listening to Enya and gave her first dibs on, cons- on composing the film, but she said no thanks. I can't imagine why. <laughs> Instead, Cameron asked his frenemy, James Horner, from Aliens. They had, like, a contentious relationship and, like, vowed to never work together. But then, look at you now. Um, so, but while Horner while was working on the score for the film with a Norwegian singer, he was working also on a song that would be My Heart Will Go On in secret because James Cameron did not want any pop songs or any singing in the film. Celine had to be convinced to record the demo by her husband because she initially didn't want to record it because she had already done two films, film soundtrack songs for Beauty and the Beast and Because You Love Me. But she eventually did it and Horner waited until Cameron was in a good mood and then he showed him the song. After he played it a couple of times, James Cameron approved, even though he was really worried that he was going to be criticized for being too commercial at the end of the movie. But unfortunately for James Cameron, he was already over budget and making execs really anxious. Sony paid $800,000 for the rights to the soundtrack album, and they were hoping that it would include a theme song. So the execs saw a hit song, In My Heart Will Go On, and so they basically were like, you gotta do it. They brought on the additional producer, Walter A., to tune it up, and he was not (coughs) impressed at first. He thought the demo was, quote, meandering and dreary. (laughs) (laughs) He replaced every part of Horner's demo and then was later upset that Horner was given a co-producer credit, which that's like the petty producer stuff that I just really enjoy. (laughs) According to Tommy Mottola, Celine recorded her vocal take in one take. What she sang on the demo was what was initially released as the single for the film. However, she re-recorded the song for her album release after the film's release and the success of it and it was like edited to uh, change a few notes towards the end of the song but that doesn't really matter because there were like a couple versions of this song anyway especially at the height of the popularity of the song some radio stations in the u.s and the uk would play an edited version that had the dramatic moments of the dialogue between yes. jack and rose yes. inserted in between Dion's vocal lines My- yeah so you remember it's like them on the yes. on the wooden boat like them having a whole conversation <laughs> My local radio station at the time, Z104, which no longer exists, uh, played that version. And I remember at the end with the musical like outro, they do the I'll never let go check. I'll never let go. Like it's this it's seared in my memory some 20, 25 years later. I don't think I've heard that version in 25 years. Not on the radio. No, I think there is a version of like the soundtrack where it has it in there. Anyway, when the single was released, it debuted at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 with 
Over 360,000 copies sold in the U.S. Even though the song was given a limited number of physical singles, uh, they only had 658,000 copies. The song then spent 10 weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 Airplay and was number one for two weeks on the Hot 100 single sales. Even though My Heart Will Go On was for the movie, it is widely considered Celine Dion's signature song and for good reason. The song was an absolutely massive track. It sold over 18 million copies and is the second best-selling physical single by a woman. Happy Women's Month, by the way. Women's History Month, by the way. And is one of the best single best-selling physical singles of all time. In February of 1998, the single broke the record for most radio plays in a single week with 117 million plays. It's the world's best-selling single of 1998, was included in the list of songs of the century by the Recording Industry Association of America and the National Endowment of the Arts. The most notable performance, though, at the peak of this, at the peak of the success of the song and also the movie, April, following the movie's release, Celine performs at the inaugural VH1's Diva Live while wearing the Heart of the Ocean pendant. Oh, yes. Which leads perfectly into the music video, which was directed by journeyman music video director Billy Woodruff. He's directed every person you could think of. Um, It's a lot of Celine singing on the bow of the CGI ship with scenes of the movie Intercut. And yes, they use the same Titanic CGR artists from the movie on the music video. And apparently Celine had to lip sync to the song Sped Up, which I assume is for syncing purposes. And in 2018, there was a director director's cut of the music video uploaded to YouTube with additional footage of Celine actually being edited into the movie. What? Who? Uh, I... And I say this is one of Celine's biggest fans. Like, who asked for this? I don't know. But apparently somebody did. I'm sure between Sony owning the rights, like, I'm sure they were like, put her in the fucking movie. (laughs) But then they're like, oh, the kids really like it when they die at the end. So put that in there instead. I, you know, I, I remember, we, sadly, we both never got to see Celine in concert. Who, what, that may change one day, but unfortunately, she canceled her tour many after many health problems, but, and COVID. But at one point during her Vegas tour, she would dress like Jack Dawson for this <laughs> performance. I love that kooky Canadian. That's hilarious. <laughs> So now we're getting into award season because obviously following the film's massive success comes the accolades. So I was joking to Emily before we hit record that she, Celine Dion, could have egotted from just this song alone if this movie had been adapted into a Broadway play. Because let's see, she won Oscar for Best Original Song, Record and Song of the Year, as well as Best Female Pop Vocal and Best Written Song specifically for a motion picture of TV. That's uh, that is a Grammy. And then she also won a Golden Globe. So to put into because I could just go on and on by how many records this song broke, but I won't. But to put into context how immensely popular this song, this song was and still is as of March 2023, My Heart Will Go On has drawn five billion cumulative airplay audience streams and over two seven hundred and twenty eight million official streams in the U.S. alone. Once back when the movie was initially released, the Los Angeles Times stated that, quote, my heart will go on and help make 1998 an amazing year for big pop ballads. Atlantic would go on to say that its popularity did not only stem from being played at big events like proms, weddings, and funerals, but also being placed into pop culture through numerous plays on the radio, speakers, and even passing cars. Because if there was one thing you couldn't get away from, 
from late 1997 through like the year 2000 was My Heart Will Go On. Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, it was everywhere. And it just, we have to also talk about one, how popular the song was because it would play on hit music stations, adult contemporary stations, like mix stations, sometimes even an R&B station, maybe like it could be, it was so. Well, there was like, that dance remix too. So then there was yes, also that. Played in clubs. Like mm-hmm. it was. And then for some, we also decided, you know, this is going to transition into the like Titanic mania of it all. We decided we wanted to hear penny whistles in all of our music and like have kind of river dance adjacent, you know, it's not a, it's not a bagpipe, but whatever that Irish instrument is that I'm blanking on right now, um, that, you know, gets is played it heavily. I, it might be a lute. I will look it up. Uh, but it is, I mean, it's, it was just that music was everywhere in the late nineties. Thanks to river dance and Titanic. Like you could, everything felt Irish adjacent. Yeah, that's uh, and that reminds me, I did have a brief. I want to learn how to river dance phase, so I can, oh, yeah. there's a straight line to draw right there. Well, do you want to get into some Titanic mania? Oh, sure, absolutely. Do you want to get into the heart of the ocean pendant, or do we just want to go yes. through like a laundry list of the things that you could do that was Titanic related? Let's go through the laundry list because I got a lot specifically on the necklace. So we can we okay. can go back and forth here. Okay. So in 2012, you could go on a cruise that went above the underwater grave site. Oh, my God. And they hosted a huge party when they did it on the 100-year anniversary of the sinking. <laughs> Why? I don't Why? know. People are sick. I mean, I I think I've told you the story of like there is a Titanic memorial in D.C. It's like a small memorial right by where the cherry blossoms are in the tidal basin. And every year on April 12th, there is a group of men who worked in local broadcast journalism behind the scenes who get together, dress in tuxedos, have a dinner, and then at the memorial propose a champagne toast to the men who sacrificed their lives for women and children. And they talk about how chivalry is dead. And I witnessed that on the hundredth anniversary of Titanic. Cause I was still living there and my friend lived right by the memorial and we all got very drunk, played the song outside and then watched this happen. I, it's, it's the weirdest thing. I wish I could tell you it's a, it was a fever dream and it is not. And I, whoever is still alive out of that group still does it to this day. That's, fucking weird <laughs> yes it sure is okay well you're I, is that your weird titanic mania thing or do you have a different thing to to tell us i mean i obviously we had all sorts of books there was the dear america uh book that they wrote so you remember those dear america like fake diaries of historical figures Yes, there was also the um, a night to remember. Like the New York yes. Times had an insane amount of bestsellers that were all Titanic based books. Yes, it was. Every, I mean, there were documentaries. You couldn't turn on the History Channel or the Discovery Channel for a while without there being a voyage to Titanic. You know, scenes from the submarine dives, like special. 
And uh, there was even a weird, like, low-rent Titanic animated movie that I came mm-hmm. across in this research. Um, I, made- I saw that, too. And it did. I don't think I ever watched it, but the cover nope. did look familiar. But to your point about the all of the books, there were also every fucking magazine had a special yes. collector's issue, too, about Absolutely. the movie and also about the ship. It was – I don't know why we – it's almost as if – I mean, the only way to equate this is like a hundred years from now or 70 years from now, someone makes a movie about 9-11 and like decides to make it a romance and like people start like, cause there's no, I like for our generation, I'm trying to compare it to a tragedy that happened in our generation, but like that, the like how weird and kind of fucked up it is that we like decided to romanticize something that is like a weird like horrible tragedy like thousands of people died um it's it's weird like it's so it's uh, like thinking about it like like a a love story about like that flight that disappeared or something it's just yes just an odd thing to romanticize but we've all accepted it because it also was birthday and prom themes for a couple of years there too which how demented (laughs) but you know i also say that as somebody who went to a birthday recently where we read a abridged version of the movie and acted it out as part of a birthday party theme and that was very fun so you know what do i know it's i like again and i don't have i think i don't take issue with that because it's making fun of the movie and even the movie itself, I don't think I take issue with. I think it's the like decision to yeah have parties and like celebratory themes tied to it, which is still very strange to me. Yeah, have everybody dress up like the unsinkable Molly Brown for like high tea and like with the subtext being that like they're all gonna die on this ship or something. I yes. don't know. I mean, but it got to the point where I. I think this is the part where it's perfect to talk about the necklace. Um, yes, please. Because this, everyone wanted a piece of Titanic so much so uh, that Fox decided to capitalize on merchandising it. Um, so they struck a deal with a catalog company called J. Peterman that was very popular in the 90s. Like they were raking in $75 million in annual sales. And this wasn't just because of Titanic. Like they had just been a really, this was some catalogs could make that kind of money, right? Um, So Jade Peterman still surprisingly exists, but it was very like whimsical clothing. And a big PR boost pre-Titanic came from Seinfeld where they parodied the company for several years. Um, And they had a character named Jay Peterman on the series who was a personal friend. The actor was a personal friend of the real Jay Peterman and an investor in the catalog company. So in early, late 1997, they talked to Fox about doing a deal because they're like, we need to find a way to do some interesting merchandising. Let's do a partnership. So they, they hear about this Titanic movie. They're like, maybe this will do something. So they go to Fox. They offer a licensing deal where they get to sell this necklace. And in addition, the deal is that they also would get to sell authentic props from the movie and this authorized replica of a necklace. So they sold like one of Rose's evening gowns. They sold all sorts of signs. Like you could buy a bunch of actual memorabilia from the set for thousands of dollars. And then you could buy the necklace with a certificate of authenticity from 20th Century Fox. And it was going for $195. So February 1998 rolls around and 
Another company, Ohio-based Linden World Fine Jewelry, is placing ads in several publications for a necklace they are calling, Margot, the Jewel of the Sea. <laughs> That's like when they started making those, you know, knockoff like Transformers movies, like, you know, big block car. And you're like, who are you fooling? <laughs> Truly, it was priced at $19 and included a similar ad on their webpage advertising it where you could purchase the necklace or you could purchase it using their toll-free number because this is 1998. On the webpage, they had Tim Hayes, our Leo lookalike that I mentioned earlier, posing with the necklace. <laughs> and there's this article from Advertising Law News Brief that claims that Tim Hayes was Leo's body double in the movie. But I checked that out and that was not true. His name is <laughs> Brett Baker. His stand-in's name is Brett Baker. He's been Leo's stand-in for many years. He looks a lot like Stephen Dorff. Uh, Interesting. Which, yeah. Yes. To bring it back to casting. An excerpt from the article, since I'm full of them today, quote, in the advertisement, Hayes is clothed in garb virtually identical to that worn by Leonardo DiCaprio in the movie and is pictured in front of the drawing of a ship clearly labeled Titanic. At the bottom of the ad in tiny print is a disclaimer by which the defendant purports to disassociate the jewel of the sea, in quotes, from any film, cast, or studio of any production company. The unauthorized company was forced to stop their advertisements and prohibit any future sales of the necklaces in March of 1998. I love this quote from an Entertainment Weekly article from Linden World spokesperson who said, quote, it's not supposed to be like any like anything like the one in the movie, said Linden World VP Rodney Napier, who admits his jewel is, quote, inspired by Titanic. The one in the movie is larger and not wearable. This is very wearable. <laughs> Despite the controversy, Jay Peterman did very well for themselves with their authentic $195 necklace, and they sold a million dollars worth of the Heart of the Ocean replicas. Wow, of course. And in response to this and the money they were raking in, they decided to open some brick and mortars as a result, but then filed for chapter 11 like two years later. <laughs> of course. What the fuck? That's not a sustainable <laughs> business model, dude. It certainly isn't. Uh, but yeah, this was um, that necklace. I had no idea until I did this research that it it went there. But yeah, I'm you could so get- happy you did because I spent some time last night trying to find that ad because in the middle of my Titanic mania research, I was like, that ad, where is it? Like, what happened to that company? And of course, you know, you already you did the homework, which is a great fa- segue into our final segment. Talk <laughs> about somebody who did their homework. Friend of the pod, Zoe, who's been on talking about the Spidey wedding. You know, she also has a passion for Titanic and she has a passion for uh, you might say an unsung hero or perhaps a, a wrongly accused antagonist. Yes, that's correct. She loves Cal from Titanic. And she is one of, there are tens of her, dozens maybe, of Cal truthers. And we're here to, you know, share a little of her propaganda. Um, we're going to, sh- Zoe, you know, she is a Photoshop queen as well. And uh, and also very good at making PowerPoints to I mean, if you want to talk about James Cameron would appreciate this. If you want to talk about petty, like 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 let's look at Zoe's PowerPoint. okay? so she has presented and we have repeated, you know, uh, and shown friends and had a good laugh. And so we really want to present her presentation called the Cal in parentheses from Titanic Redemption Story. Why Cal, in parentheses from Titanic, is not the villain. 
And we will be posting some of these slides to our Instagram because you really kind of have to like see it in its full glory. Point one, he literally pays for them all to sail first class back home. As mentioned later in the film, Rose and Ruth have no money. So Cal buys all of them first class tickets on Titanic to sail back home. He even bought Rose all the paintings she wanted and never let and let her place them all over the couches despite not having much personal interest in art. Point two. Only sad or only person to acknowledge Rose is quote unquote <laughs> sad. In Rose's pre-I'm-going-to-jump-but-not-really monologue, she says no one has noticed her or how sad she is. Enter Cal, who says, I know you've been melancholy, and I don't pretend to know why. So he has noticed. He doesn't really know how to help except to give her a gift, which is a giant effing necklace, which she does hold on to for her entire life. He then says, open your heart to me. He loves her and is just asking her to try and love him, too. Point three, he puts up with Rose's childish childish BS. Let's be honest. Rose is a general pain in the ass who doesn't think things through. Cal puts up with it, putting out the rude cigarette she lights up at lunch, and then going after her when she storms away pouting. 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 Point four, Rose reacts open... uh, Reacts to Rose openly cheating on him. Cal flips the brunch table, a la Teresa. Not only has he found out that his fiance is openly cheating on him, but she has the audacity to tell him how to treat her as his fiance. <laughs> and as she has pointed out to us, yes, we know Cal is bad because he slaps her. But as Zoe would like to make note, it is we don't have to like it, but it is technically historically accurate. Yes, I I feel like, the, and she does actually cover this in the next slide, mm-hmm. Do which she says, Rose is even more so openly cheating. The abuse itself isn't great, but his fiance, who he loves, just did get it on with another dude in a random car after posing <laughs> nude for him. Then they casually walk into the expensive suite holding hands in front of Cal. It's not a great look for Rose and Cal is reacting as an angry, jealous white dude of the early 1900s. He tries to save her life and get her into a lifeboat. Cal repeatedly tries to get Rose into a lifeboat to save her life. Rose refuses and instead runs around to save Jack, who she barely knows and never tells her he loves her. Then when Cal does finally get her into a lifeboat, she jumps out for Jack. Twice, Jack Cal, twice, Cal watches his fiance, the woman he loves, risk her life for Jack right in front of him on a sinking ship. Rose is openly cheating and risking her life for another dude. As noted, Rose is very openly cheating and has twice now decided to risk her life for a random dude. Cal is not only hurt by all of that, he's also on a sinking ship where they might all die. He pulls the gun as a reaction to all of that. Plus, Rose has chosen death with Jack over her life at that point anyway. Cal saves a child. (laughs) I have a child. <laughs> a child. His motive may have been selfish, but hey, that child would have died and now it's alive. It's alive. <laughs> because he saved her. Also, where did her family leave? Why did her family leave her there? And then that the final night. one. <laughs> Cal still looks to see if Rose survived. After everything Rose put Cal through, he still goes in search of her on the rescue boat to see if perhaps she did survive. 
He did that because he did actually care for her and love her. And also would like to point out that she he let her keep the necklace and never went yes. after her for it at any point. And she just yes. threw it in the ocean. That's that's the noise she makes. Right yes, before, but we're, we're not right going to relitigate dies. the heart of the ocean, nor are we going to relitigate if Jack would have survived on the door. We all know even if he did survive, that relationship would have never survived. We all know that. Yes. <laughs> but I think, you know, with our Cal Truther corner now closed, you know, we thank Zoe for sharing her gift and her insight and her work with us on the podcast. Um is there any other Titanic mania that we haven't covered, Emily? Any parting thoughts as we close out our first episode of the new season? I think we just about got it all. I mean, if any of you had some weird things happen in your hometown or came across something or went to a weird Titanic themed party, feel free to share. We are always down to talk about it and, and yeah, would to get your photos. That. Photographic oh, yes. evidence. Yes. yes. If you have photos of like a Titanic themed prom or birthday party, we want to hear from you. <laughs> In some ways, I'm grateful the millennium was just around the corner because that quickly like shifted the Titanic prom theme narrative to go to that point. And while that was overused, I'd much rather people do a little too much glitter and metallic than to capitalize on a tragedy. <laughs> well, and with that, we say thank you so much for listening. We have an incredible season coming up, so you want to make sure that you're subscribed to our podcast wherever it is that you listen. And if where you listen to us, you have the ability to rate us, please give us five stars. If you also love this episode, you're going to love our Patreon companion episode where we watch the mini series, the Titanic mini series with Peter Gallagher and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Incredible. That is right. Our Patreon and our subscription service will be launching later this month Later this month on March 27th. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. And you can follow us on Twitter for as long as that's a thing. And you can follow me at Mark She Wrote. And me at Emily A. Bajan. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.